Good morning. Happy Monday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Happy Monday. Coming off a very strong weekend. Um, very busy. Going to dig straight into today's Q&A. This is with Christian. Christian um, had a little bit of a neck issue that he wanted to discuss on the last Coffee and Coaches Conference call. We're happy to do that um, on occasion, especially when it leads us into a, a really good discussion. So in this case, this brought us to some lower cervical mechanics. Um, one of the things we need to understand about the cervical spine is that the mechanics throughout the cervical spine are not the same, even though they are often expressed as being the same, especially when they talk about rotations and side bends and things like that. And we don't talk about that. It's all rotation under these circumstances. It's just how is it going to rotate based on the shape of the facet joints, which is different between the upper and the lower cervical spine. So when I'm talking about upper in this case, we're talking about like the C3-4 level compared to the C6-7 level, they are not the same. So, so we have to appreciate that fact because it is going to influence our decisions. So we break those mechanics down and we actually give Christian some suggestions and some strategy as to how to approach this to get this lower cervical spine to, to turn appropriately and to alleviate the, the symptoms. Um, got some feedback from him and that actually um, it's already better. So um, we are definitely on the right track. So thank you, Christian, um, for your, your question and leading us in this direction. By the way, go to the YouTube channel. There is a, a, a video already up there discussing some of these lower cervical mechanics that you might find helpful. Everybody have an outstanding Monday, and I will see you tomorrow. Hey, good morning, Bill. How's it going? It is awesome. Great, great. Um, so my question today is a bit more selfish in nature. It has to do with something uh -oh. going through the uh, past couple of weeks. I went to sleep great. I did a couple exercises, did some cross-connects, but when I woke up, um, Side bending my head to the left was extremely limited. So it was like a closing facet restriction. <clears throat> I've, I've done some things to try to improve that. I'd say I'm about 80, 85% better. Awesome. When I, I could barely turn my head to the left and I couldn't side bend at all to the left. That happened one time. Uh, and then I drove all the way up to Tennessee and back. And when I woke up the next morning, it was kind of back to that starting point. So I wanted to look a little bit of, of the cervical mechanics of, you know, the opening and closing of the facets, how that relates to your model. And another thing that came to mind also is uh, METs and how that relates to your model, the muscle MEP. energy. Yeah, muscle energy techniques. Oh, okay. Um, What's not a muscle energy technique? Um. Well, I guess when I think of muscle, I guess everything's a muscle energy technique. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, like, it's kind of it's kind of one of those vague little things that they go, oh, this is yeah. special. It's not special. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay, so well, let's just let's just talk about let's just talk about the the, the representation that you were dealing with first. Okay, um, number one, clearly you have to stay out of Tennessee because um, it's not good for your neck. Um, where, where, when you were you said you were driving to Tennessee, where'd you drive from? Florida. Mid Florida or Orlando. Oh, you're in Orlando. Okay. Um, and that's a drive and a half there, dude. Oh, man, okay. It was too, too much. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, okay. So, um, if you can't, if you can't turn the lower cervical spine to the left. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the limitation. So you go up oh, hurts and people come in. They're really good about it too. They go, yeah, it's right there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's the one finger test, you know, um, 
So under that circumstance, the inability to turn in that direction. So, so you turn into it, you get a compressive strategy in that space. And again, that's why you can use one finger because every, all the pressure moves towards a very small area. Okay. So the inability to turn that way would be a lack of expansion. Where? On the left posterior, lower cervical. Yeah. Left posterior, lower cervical. Okay. Which would be related to uh, another area. Uh, upper dorsal rostral. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Okay. So that area has to expand to have a space to turn into, doesn't it? Exactly. Okay. And so um, in the, in the language that you were using, you were talking about what was it a closed facet or something? Yeah. Closing restriction. So what is that, is that a uh, mulligan thing? The closed restriction. Um, is that mulligan? I, yes. I guess mulligan like does talk about it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So that would be, that would be the description, right? That would be what's going on is that you just have, you have muscle activity that is creating a compressive strategy that is pushing that side into an IR representation. IR being down and forward in that direction. So, so everything's pushing you this way. And so you can't turn that way. Right. Exactly. And so you create, upper DR expansion, which gives you a lower cervical ER, which allows you to turn your head then to the left in the lower cervical spine anyway. Got it. And then I guess as we work our way up towards it, the mechanics are a little different when we talk, when we get into side bending. I wanted to think a little bit about, talk a little bit about what happens when we side bend and then get that restriction. I guess it would be a little bit higher up the chain with the, with the side. Right. Bend. So again, so the, the, uh, the uh, facets of the cervical spine, you know, in school and they teach you this, this little thingy here. Yes. They say that they say that the, the facets are on this angle and the side bends and the rotations are the same. You know, that, that part. Got it. it uh, 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 Ian, you're doing Friat's laws, right? It's it's a side bending and rotation to the same side in the cervical spine. Is that is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, <clears throat> they're not the same shape though. Mm -hmm. The the sets are not the same shape, and it's like so. If you look at like C three four, and you compare that to six seven, the facets are not the same shape. There, in fact, the, the the concave to convex nature of those facets is actually different, which is why the lower cervical spine has to ER to create a rotation in that direction. And then the upper cervical spine is actually um, going to look a little bit different. It's going to be more of like that's what you're calling a side bend. It's not a side bend. It's all rotations, but understand that, that the rotations created a little bit differently. Got it. However, however, you still have the the compression on that side that's going to create the limitation. Okay. So what, what you're talking about is creating expansion from, from upper DR to lower cervical spine and then moving up the, the cervical spine under that, that circumstance. Got okay. It. Got so you it. still have, you still have to get expansion on that side. Otherwise you will not be able to turn in that direction. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and 
It is perfect. All right. Hey, very busy Tuesday. Uh, coming up, we're going to dig straight into today's Q&A. Uh, this is with Max. This is a, this is a great little video. Uh, kind of warms my heart. Max is a guy that's been working with my model for, for quite some time. Getting very good at it. Understands principles. What you don't see in this video, we were discussing a uh, rifle contact cross-connect. And this led us into some other programming issues, moving into some, some split squad activities that would be coherent with the initial intention of the right foot contact cross-connect. And I think that this is great because um, I think a lot of people create their own interference in their programming is they're, they're either doing some things that appear to be random or their sequencing is not effective to produce the desired outcome. And, and again, they're just getting in their own way and then wondering why they don't see the progress that they're intending. And I think Max is, Max is really on point. He's really starting to understand this and he's actually evolving um, some really good strategy in, in his programming. So I think that, again, if, if this video is representative of anything, it's, it is that. Um, is that we need to be more coherent with our programming to produce the desired intention. So thank you, Max, um, for this video. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I will see you tomorrow. Yeah. I remember we were talking about, you know, the like a, an exercise kind of similarity between like a, a rack split squat and a, and a suit or a, a rack split squat and a... Um, supine cross connect mm -hmm. okay and mm -hmm. that's when we were talking about the rack split squat we were talking about uh an ipsilateral load rack split squat and that's that's corresponding to like if we're using that right foot supine cross connect this would be the right foot forward rack and this just by its very nature of the of the right foot being forward, that would be a progression of the supine cross connect. Yeah, so it would be coherent with what you're trying to do with the cross connect, wouldn't it? Yeah, after I get them to come back on the right and then yeah. start to yeah. take them through a more of a relative motion um, propulsive series, right. right? Yeah. See, and now now you're writing a coherent program. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. So this is, this would be in the, because when you, when you're doing the, the rack splits by right, you're, you're shifting weight back on the same side and then to the left. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of coming like that. And this would, and with the, the gate, the propulsive sequence of your narrows, that's kind of where the, when you apply foot, when you put the foot down, it goes the weight or center of mass goes up and to the left if I'm on a right and then it comes back around. Well, it doesn't, it's not like it comes back around. It's just, it's just a, a resultant, right? You, so you're actually, you're, you're slowing the right side down and then you're moving the center of gravity right to left all at the same time. So it's like, just, it's, it's literally just, I, I just look at the expansion, like where's the expansion going to occur Right. relative to the load and then where does the center of gravity go relative to the load right so in a narrow like the the sacrum is going to be more you know in a right foot forward it's going to be forward to the left and then as you go down it's gonna it'll 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 square up towards the front because you're moving more into an ir representation under that circumstance right and in your wide it's kind of 
you, you get the foot down, you, you find your propulsive sequence and it goes down and back. Correct. One second. One second. Yes. And this is, this would be why maybe you'd want to choose your, your contralateral load on your wides in a split squat, because that's more of, um, emphasize the, okay. Yes. Okay. So, so when I put the contralateral load on, okay. The center of gravity has got to go back into the right. Mm -hmm. That's because that's where I'm going to land first. Mm -hmm. Do yeah. you want to take over the call? Cause I, I, I think you pretty much got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just thinking of, okay, let me get the model. Like, and then, okay. What are the exceptions? So say you've got a super compressed wide and you, you need to bring them back on the right. Then you wouldn't want to, you might not say they got a supinated foot and they only got their really like their first met head down. Then you wouldn't even want to do, say you wanted to do a carry. You wouldn't want to do a, a suitcase carry, correct? Like on the left, you'd want to get them back on the right first with a, with a rack. Uh, you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll slow that side down. There, there's no guarantee you're going to, you're going to capture that um, medial foot contact. You're going to have to be kind of careful with that. Um, but it could work. So then I mean, you're, you're, you're thinking it, you're, you're thinking correctly. Yeah. So that would like a suitcase carry might have a better outcome of getting the in, in medial heel down. Yes. But you're not coming back. You are um, to superimpose on the thing. Right. Right. So, so, so think about like, I'm stepping forward with the right foot. You got a left, you got a left carry. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, if you're stepping forward, you got a left carry. You'll 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 capture an early representation on that on that representation. Um, the question mark is is whether whether you can step through, capture the, and hang on to the 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 rear foot contact as you step through. That's the question mark. Got it. Yeah, and then in that case, you got to do something to find. Yeah. Propulsive foot. Well, you, you want you want you want. Okay, so so think about think about the bias of a wide ISA. They're biased towards a middle middle propulsive representation, right? Okay, I do the suitcase carry. I'm definitely going to capture a medial heel. The question mark is: is can I can I take that and hang on to it through middle? Yeah, got it. Okay. Okay, but you're but you're thinking like like you've got it. Whatever picture you have in your head is correct. All right. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. For no, you did great. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Well, today is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow's Thursday. That means tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference call as usual. Grab yourself a cup of coffee. Please join us for some great Q&A. Um, Obviously, these calls are getting better and better. You, you see segments of this, you know, almost every day of the week. Um, so uh, please join us live. Get your questions answered. Um, and like I said, just associate some, with some really, really good people, um, really smart people. Um, which leads us into today's Q&A. And this is with Alec. And this, is a, this was a great discussion. In fact, this is only part of a really long discussion that took place on one of the calls. And um, basically, Alec is... is 
evolving his repertoire of activities and how he's moving clients through their their process one of the things that we run into is like when we're teaching somebody that that doesn't really understand what we're talking about doesn't really understand how to move well we tend to start in these static positions so they can capture certain cues in certain positions and then one of, that's one of the ways that we're going to recapture some of the relative motions that they need to move well but then what do we do how do we move them from these static positions into more dynamic um, activities and so we, we talk about that a, a, a fair amount here we use concepts like leading resistances positions and, and strategies to help people move into this more of, of a, a dynamic nature of activity and uh, that, that that's what this segment is is about so it covers a lot of ground um, within a relatively uh, short period of time so thank you Alec appreciate this question and your thinking um, everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. Um, I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah, my question was regarding, um, so obviously a lot of what I'm, um, the new skills I'm trying to acquire through being exposed with your model a lot of the time is giving movement option back to people, which means I want to recapture relative range of motion. Um, well, relative motion. And, and the one thing I, I would like to grasp better is like the, the, how do you, how do you acquire some yielding through the connective tissue? Cause like up to now, but just by kind of observing the way I program and I coach, the only thing I know or I tend to do at least is I put people in a position and then I have them get a bit of expansion via breathing. But in terms of like, oftentimes it's a static position. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, and then when I'm, when they do become successful in those position mm -hmm. in terms of where to go uh -huh. for, for having something that is a bit more dynamic and a bit more forceful or yeah. just a bit more movement heavy. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm not, I'm not so sure. And sometimes also I, f I wonder if I don't have people kind of hold back more than necessary, just cause I, I'm not very aware of how, like how possible is it to have, let's say a muscle contraction, like, uh, like promoting some form of concentric orientation while still having a yield. So I guess we're going to talk about components of force here. <clears throat> okay. Um, where, where, where would you capture the greatest degree of relative motion in an early representation, a middle representation, or a late representation? In the early. Okay. Th th that is correct. Because again, that's that, but, but, but now we, we say why, like, why is that, why is that the better place? Okay. Um, how do I typically describe it um, as in regards to ERs and IRs? Do you know? Yeah, so early propulsion is the, the moment where we have the highest, um, highest amount of, of ER available, which means most rotation. And we, don't, we basically don't have any, if much, superimposed internal rotation at that point. Okay, but but it's the beginning of the the internal rotation, right? So internal yeah, rotation, yeah, yeah. okay, internal rotation is is the beginning of force application, right? 
Okay, force application is gonna increase the degree of compression, which is gonna reduce the degree of relative motion. So we know that, okay? So the positions that, that you're going to emphasize under those circumstances cannot be the highest force producing positions. Yeah, I get that. I'm not gonna get relative motion with a three right. rep max depth. Okay, well, if you get that, then, then you're, you're on the right track as far as, as, far as what you're doing. Um, then you have to look at the complexity of the activity. So we get on these calls and we all have experience with, with teaching and coaching movement and the person that you're working with has no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So now we're dealing with a complexity issue. Okay. Right. You know, you know what the end game for you, like if you're trying to coach a split squat on somebody that's never ever done a split squat and you're trying to chase relative motion at the same time, good luck. Because <laughs> it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Right. It just yeah. doesn't happen. Um, and you go back to uh, oh, Nikolai, uh, Nikolai Bernstein. The, one of the things that, that you recognize in people that are of low skill is that, and, and this, is, this is his degrees of freedom issue, right? That he will bring up. It's like people will lock things together to reduce the degrees of freedom in a complex situation that is unfamiliar. And that's basically what happens, which means that as soon as you try to teach somebody something they've never done before, they will not use relative motion because number one, they have no idea what you're talking about. Number two, it's very difficult for them to execute. And so they have to make, they have to take the theoretical 244 degrees of freedom that you have in your body and they try to lock it into as few as possible, right? So they're gonna lock joints together, they're gonna move segments together, right? And so then what you have to do is you have to put them in a position where they are more comfortable. So you take gravity away, so I bring you down to the ground. I reduce internal forces that you have to manage. I lay you on a side, right? I teach you to feel contacts with the ground. I might have to use a static position to start to teach you um, these, the appropriate sensations to attend to. You have to create a movement vocabulary for them. You know what you want. You understand what you want. But if you speak your language to them, they, it, it's, like, it's like me in Portuguese. Like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Right. And so you have to you have to make that decision in regards to, OK, how hard do I need to make this? Where do I where do I have the greatest access to what I'm trying to do? And then you slowly increase the complexity. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, thankfully, um, you know, there are activities where we can simplify certain certain aspects. So if you're teaching somebody to squat. OK. And there's a couple of ways to do this, but what's the easiest way to teach somebody to squat? Have them go through, um, you mean, I'm not sure, just, I would have what's them the, do a squat, like down to a It's the easiest way in the up. whole wide world that everybody does at some point in time, if they're a like, human being. Like a box squat, something like yeah, that. Yeah, just, you go, hey, sit down on the box, stand back up. Almost everybody in the whole world when you, when, you, when you start them on the box and they stand up, they do it the right way, right? And so that's a, simplified, that's a simplified representation of that. Now, if I was trying to capture a yielding representation on somebody in a box squat, what would I do? Um, have them pause on the box? Yeah. So it's like, okay, you sit down, they, they expand, and then they come back up. 
right? So that is an expansion and a compression. I'm teaching them in the most simplest of ways, right? So in that case, the... Um, could I teach them... I'm, I'm, un momento, un momento, okay, por favor. Yeah, yeah. All right. um, could I teach them to breathe in on the box, expand, and then teach them to exhale and push up? So now, I've, now I actually have a, a simple representation, okay, of a movement that allows them to yield. I can, I can superimpose the breathing on top of that, okay? I can make sure that, that, that they are learning how to, how to take that breath without a, a compensatory action, right? Now, I can then superimpose a small load on that to create a leading resistance, couldn't I, right? So if I wanted to say promote um, a greater yield in the dorsal rostral and sacral base, I could give them a goblet position and I've just achieved that goal. Same exercise, didn't have to change a whole lot of anything. And then they, they are starting to, to capture the sense of, oh, there's the expansion and there's the compression. You don't even have to use those terminology. You just say, just make sure you can breathe in, make sure that you exhale on the exertion. And then that becomes a simple rule for them to follow. Yeah. And so going onwards when I'm on, I'm not on a conference call with you and I'm uh -huh. trying to figure stuff out for other stuff than a box yeah. squat. Yeah. Like it does it, like, is it a decent rule of thumb to try to go in the, the with this idea of like creating a yield um, and expansion, like try to have people be in a position where there's some low level of, let's say, antagonistic muscle activity? Like oftentimes I'm... Give me a for I'm, instance. Give me a for instance that's in your head. Um, yeah. Like have people lock their uh, uh, yoga block in between their elbows to try to promote like dorsal rostral, you know? Like my thinking is just like, okay, I have I have the, the shoulder blades move away from the yeah. spine, but not yeah. up. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not triggering much activity in the dorsal rostral in terms of muscle behavior. Right. And, and then I have them just externally rotate a tiny bit against the bend. Like yeah. I, I, yeah. So yeah. like, or just have someone in in put a little bit of a distraction with a band on like the inner thigh. Let's say of someone in a split sense, I trigger yeah. a tiny bit of of a doctor, and hopefully with that I can I can guess that if they keep a nice shape, um, I'm I'm trying to teach them to move within that range with a little bit less of external rotator to the- Right, the, so so you're, you're providing them, so you're doing exactly what we just talked about. It's like okay, you're providing cool. them with a sensation. Okay, cool. Because I, I was wondering like- th now, this is Hang on, up. Hang yeah. on, hang on. Okay. So let's take your example of putting something between the elbows. How do you know when that fails? Ah, uh, you'll see some like, you'll see some like ugly stuff at the like lower rib cage. Well, let's talk about the ugly stuff. Arm. So we have a, so we have a frame of reference. What ugly stuff are we going to yeah. see? Um, so far it's been looking good on people, but um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that. Okay. All right. That's a good one. What else? Um, what are, what are they trying to do? So, so you put something between their elbows and you see that. Yeah. What is that? Like why are why would they choose that as the next strategy? 
Well, what they're trying to do is to acquire more compensatory ER so they, they can have access to a space in front of them that's yeah, not there. Exactly. It's, like, it's like, okay, bad strategy. You just compressed the bejesus out of them, right? So you did not get the the requisite expansion that you were hoping to get. Yeah, so, in, in, in that sense, okay. So it's a leading resistance. So, so you're giving them resistance to produce a desired outcome. You overshot. You gave them too much or... Um, they, they never had access to that space in the first place, right? So again, it was just a bad choice under that circumstance. You, again, you get to be the good coach and you get to make that decision. But all you're talking about, and this is, I mean, this concept goes back to PNF in the 1940s. It's like, this is a leading resistance. We're using, we're not using resistance to create an, an overload of high force production. All we're trying to do is give them a sensation to guide the, the, the behavior to produce the outcome. Too much load under any circumstance. It's just like we were talking about at the beginning of the call. It's like, all you're gonna do is you're just slowly gonna take away space. And sensory I, wise, you're just nubbing them. It's just like, uh, and then just, they can lose, too much. They lose subtle. It's, too much. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's instead of instead of having this, this, this small uh, influence of muscle activity, I have to yeah. use too much muscle activity Right. And now I, I don't create spaces. I don't create a compression and, and an expansion, which would move me. OK. The, the key element here, when we talk, when we talk about compressed space and, and expansion, is like the, the, it's the gradient between the two that provides the movement. OK, take a water balloon. I squeeze one end of the water balloon. The other end gets fat. That's movement in that direction. OK, but if I have so much pressure that there's no gradient, now there's no movement. And then and then you hear this because then they can't they can't breathe or you hear the uh, right. And that's indicative of, of the of an exhalation. Yeah. Right. So, again, conceptually, I think you understand it's just that what you may need to do is is look at your repertoire of activities, right? And say, okay, what else could I do under this circumstance? Yeah. What other position can you use, right? So um, you ever put anybody in uh, quadruped, all fours? Yeah. Okay. You ever see any, anybody fail miserably at that? Yeah. You see the same. You see the same compensatory strategies, right? So the force is too high. Quadruped is a leading resistance, just like everything else is, right? But it could be the wrong, wrong choice. But if I take you from all fours, right? And I, and I put you on a sideline position, now maybe I can actually produce the yielding behavior. I can start to produce a turn that I couldn't produce when I had you in all fours. Just because the intensity of the activity is sometimes just too difficult for a lot of people because they have to support themselves through their upper extremities, which they've probably never, ever done. Yeah, okay, cool. Good morning, happy Thursday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. Uh, hey, Bill, I just wanted to talk about uh some instances where I think it's basically a, a straight plane solution to a rotational problem. But um, so sometimes when um, I see people lunge or they split uh, with the front leg and the front leg uh, collapses inward, uh -huh. sometimes um, one solution is to put a band around the knee to pull, to pull it out. 
uh, you know, pull it away so that it opens up. And like to manually pull the knee into position? Yeah, so you like take a band and put it on a rack, squat rack or whatever, wrap it no, around. I'm with you. I understand. I'm just, I'm just, I'm trying to get the direction that you're pulling the band. Yeah, so um, I think, uh, you know, I've seen people pull it so that it, it pulls, it pulls it in further to. Yeah, that would be a leading resistance. Right, and so then the the goal is to, you know, with that resistance so, so that you push your uh push your leg outward uh -huh. but i feel like i feel like if you're being pushed forward you know like i feel like that's being first of all it collapses because you're being pushed forward on that side say like left side and so then yeah. so that might so that solution might not even work in that case that's correct right that's correct. yeah it does work sometimes if 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 the um uh it, it's it's going to depend on the degree of turn mm -hmm. as to whether as to whether it's helpful or not mm -hmm. okay so if you think about like somebody that's on a right oblique orientation okay mm -hmm. if they're if they're on a right oblique orientation and they still have hip ir available to them okay then it does work when you create the leading resistance. So, so you could apply a force to the lateral aspect of the knee to, to magnify the strategy that they're using and give them the leading resistance into a, an, an ER from there. And it works great, okay? If you have somebody that would be on a right oblique axis, they have not, retained the IR, which means that they got pushed way forward, the knee strategy won't work. And this is on the uh, wrapping the band around the left leg? I'm, I, I'm, I'm thinking like a right knee forward uh, okay. split squat right. under this. Like I'm creating a very specific circumstance uh, for, for uh, explanation. Okay. Yeah. So if you're doing like a right leg forward split squat, they, you see the, the, uh, the knee move medially that's that's associated with the orientation, right? Which you know, uh, but again, using the the leading resistance strategy would require that you actually have access to hip IR on that side for it to be effective. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, otherwise, if you were to create that that, um, what you're going to do is you're going to increase the amount of anterior orientation that that is because they don't have any IR to play with, so they have to create more, mm -hmm. um, and you won't get the, you won't get the result that you want. Now, what if you orient the band so that it's it's pulling you um, so that you have to produce IR on the lead leg? So the band is now pulling you into ER, and then you're IRing to counter it. You mean from the pelvis? Uh, or still around the knee. It's like you're so you're literally pulling the knee outward. Yeah, yeah, because this is this is the straight plane solution to to the to the issue. It's like, oh, your knee's collapsing inward, so let's put a band around the knee because that's where the problem is. Um, okay, so, so the, the, the issue that you're going to run into there is you're going to increase the the rotation of the pelvis to the right, most likely, most likely, because again, you it, they would have to they would have to eccentrically orient everything that's internally rotating the hip under this circumstance, right? Which is very difficult to do um, in a complex movement like that. Mm -hmm. So again, if you were on the left leg and you were pulling the left knee Left leg out, forward? 
Are you talking about left leg pull? Okay. Uh -huh. You're pulling the knee outward uh, with the band. And so you have to yeah. IR do it. You know, is that, I guess, could you, would it be effective to, to use that and try to also kind of do like an adductor pull back in that split position, kind of push the, the femur back into the hip to kind of. Uh, yeah. uh, so that would be, you're trying to produce an internal rotation at the hip? Yeah, to get internal rotation, but then you're also kind of using yourself, or, you know, you're pushing your femur into the hip to kind of. Yeah, and this would be a scenario where they actually don't have hip internal rotation available, right? Um, well, again, so the way I think about it, if the if your if your left leg is forward and it's collapsing inward, I would think that you're pushed forward on that left, your ER, and so then you have nowhere to go but to orient into IR. right. So, so again, what what so what I'm saying though is that is that that hip does not the hip itself does not have internal rotation available. That's why you're seeing the initial strategy in the first place. The collapse. Okay. Yeah. Yes, sir. And so if you if you physically pull the knee out, what are you doing? Are you are you magnifying the ER orientation or are you taking it away? You're magnifying the ER orientation. Yeah, so you're magnifying the ER orientation, which is probably not the solution, right? Mm -hmm. As far as um, the relative motion is concerned. Mm -hmm. So you're just, again, you're just turning the pelvis more mm -hmm. and then they're gonna have to anteriorly orient more, right? <clears throat> so again, yeah. I, I, would, I would be more, inclined, um, number one, um, to determine whether you have any internal rotation available to you, right? And then that would provide you an element of strategy. So like I said, if you do have internal rotation, using the leading resistance at the knee is, is actually useful. And if you don't have it, then you have to be more concerned with the pelvic orientation to begin with, because mm -hmm. that's, that's going to be their IR strategy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I've seen it also prescribed for squats. So it's like if you have a, you know, if you're squatting and you have one leg that mm -hmm. comes inward, you know, sometimes yeah. like, go ahead, pull yeah. the band, get the band out and pull the knee in whatever direction. Yeah. That is. Go, so so now knowing what, knowing what you know now, I will, I will ask you a test question. Um, under what circumstance would that be an effective strategy? Well, based on my population, like almost never, because it's there's it's always <laughs> always a turn. So, uh. yeah. Well, see, you're right. It doesn't it doesn't always work. But but again, this is this is where people cookbook things. They go, oh, knee goes in. I need to push the knee out. And it's like without asking the question, it's like, okay, why is it in? Why is it moving inward when I when I don't want it to? You know, it's like, why are they doing it? They don't have an explanation for that. They just go, okay, knees in, I push knees out. And again, maybe, you know, a certain percentage of the time, they're going to be right. Mm -hmm. And then if it, if it sticks around, if they do it enough times, and then they convince themselves that that's, that is the way to, to fix it, that works great. But what are you going to do when it doesn't? Yeah. You know? It, it, and, and again, this is this is why the understanding of the sequence events of how these things occur becomes so important to us because because um, the, the how matters mm -hmm. because every time you see something, it, it's not one thing, right? We have multiple influences, right? We've got we've got an axial position, we've got an orientation, we've got the the AP um, superficial muscle activity that's in play here that's all creating this. Mm -hmm. Right. Do I have any other adaptive, you know, influences? So for instance, it's like, do you have a rear foot 
that has an adaptation in it that is not going to allow that anti-orientation to resolve. Now I need to start thinking about, okay, what do I have to do to this rear foot so I don't anteriorly orient, right? And there's not a band around the knee that's gonna fix that because that's gonna be a ground up representation that I need to affect, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you, and you'll see this in, in your, do, you, do, your uh, do your lifters ever train in, in flats um, when they're doing supplementary exercises? Yeah. Okay. So what you might see is you might see a strategy in, when somebody's wearing their flat shoe and it disappears when they've got their, their heel elevated shoe on. Mm. Right. And you, and you like, you, you've seen, you've seen the pelvic orientation stuff change. I'm sure you've seen that. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as somebody puts on their Olympic shoes, it's like, oh, okay. I just gave you the foot position that you needed to prevent this anterior orientation from occurring that you access when you are in flats. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Make sense? Yeah. 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 Good morning. Happy Friday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. Man, this is supposed to be the rest and recovery weekend. I got a busy Friday coming up. Got an interview, a couple calls. Got to dig into today's Q&A. Um, this is with Alex. And Alex is a part of a, a private Facebook group that's associated with people that have gone to the intensive. And I, I had a video posted up there where I was doing a a sacral mode that was going to produce a late representation at the right sacral base. And so I had um, one of my guys totally set up on, on the table in a late representation on that side. And um, I made a comment that, that this is also a, a reproduction of a position that we would use in quadruped if you're taking a step forward. And so Alex's question pertained to, well, how, do, how is this actually represented in that quadruped position? Because Obviously, when you're laying down, it doesn't quite look the same. And the thing that we want to recognize is that um, there's, there's points in time in every propulsive activity where you're going to have that late representation and middle representation and early representation. And, and what you want to conceptualize is that you're actually just moving the axial skeleton through space. And so these are the points in time that we want to look at the axial skeleton where we have the the iterative anatomy of the thorax and the pelvis actually doing the exact same thing at the, at the same time. And that's what this mobilization is all about. So I'm gonna show you the video that, that, that uh, Alex was referring to, and then we'll go right into Alex's question. And, and you actually see a little demo. Alex was kind enough to, to volunteer and actually demonstrate the, the quadruped gait. Um, so you can actually see how it relates to the mobilization. So again, thank you, Alex, for this. Everybody have an outstanding Friday. Uh, the uh, podcast will be up on Sunday as usual. Have a great weekend. I'll see you next week. We've got late on this side, so you can see it right there. So if he was quadruped. So this is the position that we were talking about. So right arm up, right leg out. So you see where the pillows are? Alex? Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, that, that's why the pillows are as they are. Okay. That's creating a new, a new frame of reference for the orientation of the axial skeleton. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you can see, and then I think, do I show the mode? Yeah. There's the mobilization there. So all I'm doing is magnifying the, the pressure on the uh, right sacral base to emphasize the turn to the left. 
So this is a late representation on the left side, okay? Or on the right side, late on the right side to turn him left. Okay, do you have anything interesting to talk about? Well, I have, a, I have another follow-up. Okay, go ahead and ask your follow-up. And while you do that, I'm gonna try to, uh, I'm gonna try to get to uh, so that, that picture so everybody can see what we're talking about. One of the one of the issues I have with it is it seems like the arm, the right arm and the right leg are stepping in a manner that you would not step when you actually crawled. And so uh -huh. maybe, maybe this is just a misconception on like how that pattern works. Um, okay, I, so if you're, hang on, if you're on all fours, okay, and you were stepping forward with your right hand. Yeah. Okay. So just step forward with your right hand only. Yeah. Like just that. Would that increase the distance between those two extremities? Yeah. Would they both be would they both be oriented into external rotation? Yep. Okay. Would they both be applying pressure to the dorsal rostral and the sacral base? Um I mean the the late Which side way would you be turning? So if you if you're reaching forward, if you all you gotta do is reach forward now. It's like yeah. just reach forward with your arm. It's like what what do you what do you which way are you turning the the axial skeleton? That's that's basically what you want to look at. I mean, so I understand how they're they're both um applying a late positioning on the right side. Okay. Um, but I guess my question is. So we, we want the whole axial skeleton to turn one direction uh, yes, when, we, when we do things, but why why does that positioning not coincide with like a normal crawling pattern? Because you you it never is. it is a normal crawling pattern. So maybe that's my misconception. Because to me that mobilization is the right leg and the right arm stepping forward at the same time, which I don't I don't think that's how you no the, no the 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 okay they're ERing at the same time into a late representation. So, so if, again, if you start in, in, in even all fours and you step forward with your right hand, your, your, your right hip would be moving towards a late representation of ER abduction, okay? Mm -hmm. And then the right arm would be reaching forward into a late representation of, of ER. That's how you take a step forward when you're crawling. You're turning the. You have to turn the axial skeleton away from the side that you're that you're reaching with. So the. Would you like to get down on the floor, Yaman? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it never hurts, right? To have a nice demo on a Thursday morning. Oh, look at this. Is this, oh, I thought we had a gym. Never mind. I saw the podium back there. Is that okay? I got gotcha. you. All right. I thought we had. I thought we had a place for the uh, for the dumbbells over there. Um, okay. So can you can you move forward so we can see all all of your all fours? Maybe the cat can actually help us out here because he's like a quadruped. So, um, so all I want you to do is is actually just step forward with the. Uh, the right hand and make it make it a pretty decent step just exaggerate it yeah you go there you go okay so uh what position is that right hip in now right hip. 
Yes, sir. I mean, it would be metal right now. Um, so, so your knee is actually uh, uh, inferior to where your hip was, and you're turning your pelvis to the left as you're stepping forward with your right. Okay. So yeah. You're, you're turning dorsal rostral. Now, move your right knee a little bit closer to the to the left. I'm sorry, your, your left knee closer to the, to the left hand. Yeah, one more time. Move your left knee closer to your left hand. Now, are you ever in that position when you're crawling? Yeah. Okay, so it's crawl, right? Yeah. Yep. All right. So, so what we're doing, so, so, so the, the, there's a big point of confusion in regards to propulsive activities because there's a, there's a point in time where, where everything is going in the same direction at the same time and there's a point in time where it looks like they're going in opposite directions. And, and this is because of the, of the passive, passage of energy okay, through your body as you move. So as you walk across the ground, we take energy from the ground and then we push it back down into the ground, right? So you understand that like the early, we have, we have, we have energy that comes up from the ground, we take that and then we push it back down as we propel ourselves forward. And so what, what we wanna do though is we're gonna take three snapshots. As you step forward, you take a snapshot. And so that's at the extreme end of, of like an early and then you take the extreme of the, of the late, and that's where everything is in, is is sort of as you said in phase. So everything is is in the ER representation in the early. Everything is in the ER representation in the late. And then if you go like dead center middle, that's where you're going to see this this superposition of ER and IR, where the the IR would be most strongly represented. In between those two, you have a waveform that is it is moving through the system, and so there will be segments that appear to be moving in opposition. Okay, but what it is, it's just a relative timing issue, right? Um, and this is the wave form, as it were, going through the system, and that's what creates that's what creates so much confusion. And so, what you were doing with your crawl is, I was sticking you in a very obvious position where that that sequencing of energy passing through you was a non-issue. So I put you sort of like at the end of that late representation where everything looks the same. As you transition through that, so as you, if you were crawling across the ground, there would be a timing of that energy, right? Mm -hmm. And then there would be that one point in time where, where I just stuck you in, where it goes, oh, everything's the same. And, and that's the thing that needs to be appreciated because what happens is, is, is some people can't do that. Like they can't change from one to the other. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And so, <clears throat> so when you do a mobilization of any kind, what you should be doing. So if you're mobilizing a foot, okay, let's just say you're trying to get a middle P foot. What orientation should the rest of that body be in? Should be a middle P. Yeah, because you know why? Because it would interfere with your foot mobilization, wouldn't it? It's, it's like, okay, as soon as I try to send a signal from the foot proximally, what's going to kick back to me? 
right? Because that's what's going to happen. Like when you're mobilizing a foot, you're creating a transfer of energy into that system, right? And it's going to reflect back to you. So if I'm trying to mobilize a middle P foot and I don't have somebody oriented in the right body position and they're kicking back an ER wave at me as I'm trying to mobilize a foot into middle P, good luck with that. And now you know why some of your mobilizations fail because you didn't have the orientation right. Right. But they don't tell you that because everything's looking, they're, they're giving you a structural reductionist representation saying, oh, this knee is a separate entity. It does things all by itself. It's like, no, it doesn't. And then they go as far to tell you in school, I know they told you this in school because it's a standard rule of, of uh, PT. It's like you always go a joint above and a joint below. And you're like, if you got a knee, you got to look at the hip, you got to look at the foot. Right. <laughs> and then they don't, but then they don't tell you why or how. They just say, it's really important that you look at both. And they go, okay, that's, that's great. But I don't know what that means. Like, what is the, what is the big deal? What is the difference that I have to appreciate in the hip if I have a knee that does this? They don't, they don't go far enough in the explanation, right? So they appreciate, what, what it was it, uh, regional interdependence? Yeah. I think is the term that they give you in school. Mm-hmm. It's like they appreciate the concept, but they don't have any way to explain it to you as to its value. Right. Does that help? Yes, that was very helpful. Okay, um, I, I apologize for not having that video handy. I am. It was. I, I know it's on the. I know it's on the the uh, Facebook group somewhere. But I could. I, I could I find it very easily if you if you want to do it after the next question. You want it? Well, hang on. Can you find it very easily, like right now? Bill, yeah. I posted it. But Bill, I sent it to you on DM. If you look at the bottom of the chat. Oh. Okay. Hang on. How do I get into that thingy? Hang on a second. Um, where do I get my? Hang on. Uh, okay. Hang on. I'm gonna click on it and see what happens. Is everybody still there? All right. There we go. Hang on. I'm gonna blow this up. Sacrum into a late propulsive representation. Oh, I don't have my own so, voice. One second. I turned off the volume. All right, share my screen. Share.